Welcome to another episode of the Society for Armenian Studies podcast series. My name is Jesse Arlen, and I'm joined here today by uh, two special guests. We have Dr. Shushan Garavedyan, who is the newly appointed Deputy Director of the Institute of Armenian Studies at USC, and Dr. Hagop Gulujian, who's in charge of Western Armenian at UCLA. Um, we're going to be, well, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> right, Thank <how> you. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking today about a book entitled Western Armenian in the 21st Century, Challenges and New Approaches. Now, this is an edited volume um, that came as a result of a 2017 conference organized by the Society for Armenian Studies um, that brings together uh, basically expanded versions of the six scholars who presented at the conference, along with a second or with an additional uh, essay by Hirach Chilingirian that covers basically the results of a previous conference um, that took place along the same issue, basically addressing the status and vitality of Western Armenian uh, in the in the in the contemporary in its contemporary diaspora context um, and means of promoting its health and vitality. So um, I'm here today with two of the um, contributors contributors to the volume. Uh, Shushan and Hagop, and we invited you here to talk as representatives because you're the leading experts, essentially, in the approach to uh, some of the theoretical problems addressed with the health of diaspora language uh, and transmission, but also you both have years of experience in the classroom uh, teaching Armenian. Um... I want to start out by just asking you if you could talk about uh, what the kind of central topic of your contribution to the volume is and uh, the kind of argument or thesis of your paper. Maybe, Shushan, we can start with you. Sure. Um, So my um, paper is titled Eastern Armenian Speakers as Potential Western Armenian Learners. Reflections on Second Dialect Acquisition, and uh, it may seem a a bit odd for some maybe that you have a paper that starts with Eastern Armenian for a volume dedicated Mm -hmm. to Western Armenian, but uh, these lines that we set uh, between the two standards are in reality very blurred. Um, and uh, the, at, at least in the Los Angeles context, there's a large cohort of Armenian heritage language learners for whom the home variety and the school variety are not the same. Mm-hmm. So the problem that I'm tackling with my paper is what do you do with this particular group of learners whose needs are so different from you know, what we traditionally conceptualize as the Armenian language student in a classroom? So I, I and my main argument is that instead of using a second language acquisition model, which some would argue would be a, a, a better version than what has been used before, which was a native language first right. language model, the actual instructional problem for this cohort of learners is different. It's not a first language acquisition situation. It's not a second language acquisition situation. It's actually a second dialect acquisition 
process. And by dialect, of course, here, I just mean variety, mm-hmm. right? A different variety of the standard language that's being taught in class. Yeah. So my argument is that we should consider second dialect acquisition as a potential model to use for students who are learning Western Armenian as an additional variety to their home language. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the thing that, things that's uh, striking and helpful about your paper, in addition to putting forth, I guess, the proper like theoretical, pedagogical model, mm-hmm. um, is you actually give very practical examples of how this is done on the ground. Um, do you want to maybe just mention one or two examples? Um, absolutely. I think uh, basically um, there are a couple of important issues to keep in mind. One is that um, as counterintuitive as it may be, second dialect acquisition research highlights that second dialect acquisition, in other words, learning a different variant of the same language, is more complex, more nuanced, and often slower than learning a second language. Mm. So uh, it, it kind of, folk linguistics would dictate that it should be easier sure. to learn a second variant of a language that you already know. And let's keep in mind that heritage language learners don't fully sure. uh, master their heritage language. Um, so I think just raising awareness about the complexities of this is important both for teachers and for students and for mm-hmm. parents and for community members because this is kind of a symbiotic relationship between all of these uh, participants so that and and and, and the, the practical examples in the classroom were one you need to validate a student's home variety instead of using an eradicationist approach which says we erase your home variety and the, the standard variety is the only one mm-hmm. acceptable uh, and, and you do this by raising sociolinguistic awareness um, and also a technique um, that's called a contrastive technique. In other words, if a student doesn't register the difference, they don't, if they don't notice the difference, they don't register it. They mm. don't internalize it. So you need to show, okay, home variety is X, standard variety is Y. Both are acceptable in different contexts, but here's the difference. And once a student sees the difference and processes it and recognizes it, then the hope is that they can produce it. Um, and in, in the actual chapter, I have um, uh, concrete examples from my colleague, Jacob Kulujan, who uh, practices this contrastive technique mm-hmm. in, in the classroom. Um, and, and, and an additional point I'd like to make before I forget yeah. <laughs> is that this isn't just about Eastern Armenian students learning Western Armenian that um, basically any diasporic home variety is bound to be different from the standard variety, the textbook variety. Mm -hmm. Whether that's Eastern Armenian, whether that's a dialectal version of Western Armenian, whether that's an Armglish version by a third, fourth generation Armenian-American, whatever it is, um, any time that the student's home variety is distinctly different from the classroom variety, this... um, idea of second dialect acquisition will be applicable. Mm-hmm. And um, because we're on the topic of, of this paper right now, could I just ask also, uh, it is a very unique 
uh, topic that you chose to write about. Could you just talk a little bit about what was kind of the background mm. to writing this paper? What What's the story that kind of led you to this topic in particular? Absolutely. Um, so in the years that I was in graduate school working on my dissertation, which was on Eastern Armenian as a heritage language, um, at the same time, I was also teaching uh, both at Glendale Community College and at UCLA. And also, I was participating along with Hakop in, in most of these cases in these groups who were um, the task forces or committees set out to promote um, Armenian language use in the diaspora. Um, all of that work involved a huge observational component of going to local Armenian schools, observing classrooms, meeting with teachers, discussing challenges, uh, making recommendations. And in all of the in all of these um, processes, I noticed a, a kind of a huge issue. So um, most people are probably aware that for most an overwhelming majority of the Armenian schools, the standard of instruction is Western Armenian. Mm -hmm. That's gradually starting to change in some cases, but I think it's, it would be fair to generalize. Sure. But at least in Southern California, at least in L.A., there's been a huge demographic shift where to this point, and I've chatted with a lot of um, principals of Armenian schools, that they would um, identify that uh, at least half of their student body at this point are Eastern Armenian speakers or some kind of dialectal speakers. Yeah. So that this is a reality Armenian schools are facing now, yeah. currently, and, and teachers are not equipped with um, skills and techniques to handle this. Um, and this is also happening, I think, at the college level. I mean, UCLA is very unique in, in the sense that we offer both Eastern Armenian and Western Armenian tracks. Mm -hmm. No other institution of higher education, to my knowledge, correct me if I'm wrong, um, has this possibility. And even in our case, I'm sure if you kind of took a peek at a Western Armenian class, you'd find a, a major Eastern yeah. Armenian cohort. And same thing, if you were to sneak into the Eastern Armenian class, yeah. you'd find Western Armenian students. Definitely. Or... Let's not forget the new hybrid students, mm -hmm. whether they're familial hybrids or academic hybrids, meaning one parent is an Eastern Armenian mm -hmm. speaker, one parent is a Western Armenian speaker, or variations sure. of, or you know, you have an Eastern Armenian student who's gone to Armenian school and has um, had formal instruction in Western Armenian, so these I would call academic hybrids. So uh, this is this is a, a problem, not a problem. I, I don't even like framing it as a problem. This is a situation yeah. we are encountering, all of us, exactly. in Armenian studies, in Armenian language instruction. We're mm -hmm. all encountering this issue now, and we need to be equipped with the skills um, to address these students' needs. I guess exactly. to sum it up, these this particular group of learners has very unique needs that need to be addressed. So I'm addressing th that kind of very specific group of learners. Great. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, yeah, it, I'm sure pretty much any teacher who's teaching Armenian deals with this situation in the classroom and would, uh, I would recommend your paper to them. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so transitioning for now to uh, your paper, Hagop, uh, could you talk, a talk about the central topic and kind of argument of your paper? Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, the paper has uh, several issues on hand because it comes a little full circle uh, 
after so many other papers and presentations mm -hmm. uh, and uh, because uh, uh, many of them were not yet published I wanted to uh, give a background of my conclusion the central the title is uh, uh, how to use creative literacy in order to maintain vitality of language so language vitality through creative literacy but uh, in order to to tell that story I had to tell uh, what uh, came before so uh, first uh, there's a discussion of uh, uh, of the state of language in diaspora, uh, specifically Western Armenian, uh, the need to form and uh, sustain the critical masses of both consumers and producers of the language uh, in diaspora in order to ensure vitality, something that has been uh, overlooked so far. The model now is to import uh, uh, teachers from the Middle East, mm -hmm. teachers, writers, uh, editors, every, everybody is from the Middle East. and. Uh, the local, uh, locally grown population uh, just uh, learns to get acquainted with the language, not be a user, consumer, uh, and uh, producer. So, uh, a discussion after that of uh, how institutional education system uh, deals with this in uh, Western Hemisphere, uh, because basically a paper deals with uh, what happens in in the Americas, uh, it may be applicable also to Europe. Uh, the problem of lack of vision, vision uh, not as a rhetorical uh, term, but uh, organizational uh, term as uh, defined by uh, where we want to arrive, where we want to reach, where we want to go uh, through our mission, uh, doing what we do. Uh, it is not clear so far. Uh, there's a, a long session, a section discussing uh, this issue, and if we don't have a clear vision uh, to prepare a critical mass mm -hmm. of producers, consumers, etc., uh, it will be only by chance that we may get the result. Then I tackle uh, a more theoretical issue, which is the issue of compartmentalization. We have to go to sociolinguistics, like the uh, concept of diglossia, how uh, people uh, 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 speak different uh, languages or dialects in different situations according to uh, different contexts and uh, what uh, what factors affect their decision to do this uh, uh, dialect shame as Shushan was discussing uh, the problem of anxiety as Shushan has uh, uh, demonstrated in her dissertation and many articles later uh, writing shame, shame of writing, of spelling, so, uh, and all those issues uh, uh, take away uh, people even uh, with the knowledge of Armenian to the dominant language, which is English or Spanish or French or whatever it is. Uh, so, if people compartmentalize uh, mentally uh, their life and between languages when uh, certain issues are spoken in Armenian, others in English. And uh, we study that uh, most uh, domains uh, being included in Armenian uh, have to do with the past. Mm -hmm. uh, it just tells us where the language is going. So there is a proposal after that to uh, uh, break that barrier or tear down those walls and uh, 
uh, take us to take Armenia to the future or bring the future or the present into Armenia. Mm. That's it. So uh, uh, along these lines, uh, I discuss the uh, futility of teaching for getting acquainted with the language instead of aiming to form you know, users, consumers with the present and future in the language. So all this is summarized uh, in the proposal of uh, teaching uh, for creative literacy to not for uh, knowing how to read and write, mm -hmm. but to learn how to read and write in order to create or produce, not yeah. necessarily uh, uh, poetry, but yeah. anything, any language product. I use the, the term product, which is not nice in <laughs> linguistics, but uh, it has more of an economic uh, connotation, but it is necessary language product. It could be anything, a pamphlet, a, 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 a prayer. A and newspaper article, yeah. anything like this. Yeah, uh, it could be stand-up comedy, it could mm -hmm. be YouTube uh, uh, clips, yeah. uh, anything. So this is basically what the... Uh, and how to do that, some yeah. initial proposals of how to implement that, but obviously it has to be developed further. Mm -hmm. Now, you brought up a very, well, many interesting points, <laughs> as your paper is certainly the most... Um, uh, I guess, comprehensive uh, in the collection. Um, one thing I wanted to elaborate on a little was the sense of vision. So you talked about the necessity of having a vision for uh, the institutions that support Armenian and diaspora. So I guess we're thinking foremost about schools. Um, when we hear about the health of Western Armenia, and often in the context of discussing the 2010 UNESCO report on Armenian as an endangered language, Western Armenian as an endangered language. Um, what's often talked about is the need to uh, preserve the language. Um, is that the kind of vision you have in mind, like the need for the schools to uh, preserve the language, or is it something else? Yeah, I think I already answered that in a previous, uh, my previous response. It's not about preservation, but about uh, production, creation and production. Uh, because preservation makes it a relic, uh, makes it a sacred thing. Again, uh, Shushan has written about this. I, I have done that too. Uh, but uh, you talked about uh, education, uh, schools, um, and UNESCO. I, I'm, I'm, I wasn't in this <laughs> for linguistics. Uh, I do medieval uh, literature and mm -hmm. modern diaspora literature, but after the UNESCO report uh, where I contributed some, uh, uh, it led me to write more papers, uh, sometimes even reluctantly, research on this experimenting classroom with uh, creative and productive application of language, but then focus on the vision, not only for schools. Basically, I would say... Uh, possibly the book's audience is uh, uh, could be academic, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, more than teachers and principals, it should be the institutional leadership of uh, the boards. Yeah, they don't care. Uh, that's uh, sorry, that's not a, an academic uh, <laughs> way to put it. But if uh, it's not in their vision, uh, or the language or language instruction or the vitality of the language is an afterthought. Uh, it is not sufficiently political 
uh, to be included, to be financed. Uh, look around. The book is financed uh, or sponsored. The conference was sponsored by mm -hmm. Gulbenkian Foundation. The previous conference at Oxford was sponsored by Gulbenkian Foundation. Uh, the, an outgrowth of my uh, projects now uh, being taught a class on language in action is sponsored uh, by the Lincoln Foundation. And it's the only foundation for financing uh, projects on language. Yeah. As if, and it's, not, it's a non-Armenian foundation. So, <laughs> not a single Armenian foundation is doing this. On the other hand, there is a problem of vision also in the academic world. Uh, this will be possibly read by academics, but I, I have the sense that uh, uh, in Armenian studies circles, language, modern language, uh, language instruction, uh, is viewed as also an afterthought. Is mm. uh, it's not like s sufficiently academic mm -hmm. for uh, for people. Uh, so if Armenian studies is tending to incorporate modern literature. Okay. How will they study modern literature without a, a good enough instruction of Armenian? Um, uh, it's um, it, it has it has many ramifications. <laughs> yeah, yeah, many ramifications. Um, so returning back to you, Shushan. Um, it's not, I guess, immediately obvious at the outset how your paper relates to, like, vitality of Western Armenian, mm -hmm. which is kind of the central mm -hmm. uh, topic of the book. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like, how how does uh, your paper and essentially the argument you're making mm -hmm. or the, the need to address this issue, how does that relate to kind of the broader project? Um, it's a very good question. <laughs> um if any of our listeners aren't familiar with the Los Angeles community, mm. I think it would be useful to do just a very brief introduction Please. to um, what makes it so unique is that if you were to walk down a street in Glendale, it would be buzzing with a cacophony of Armenian variants. What makes this community so unique is that you have not only both standards present interacting with each other and with the dominant language, but variants of both standards mm -hmm. interacting all with each other and all interacting with English. Now, this type of language variation is very natural and very healthy all over the world, right? In any community, there's language variation. It's only when this focus on language preservation becomes so intensified that we then turn to this kind of pure language, hmm. right? Which really doesn't exist except in textbooks and dictionaries. Sure. So one, um, I think it's very important to accept this notion of language variation. Two, I think the relevance of my paper to the overall goal of the volume or the conference in terms of the vitality of Western Armenian is the following. If this were not a diasporic context, mm -hmm. if we were in Armenia, sure. just for argument's sake, follow my argument, and you have a, a speaker of the Gyumri dialect mm -hmm. who is in a standard Eastern Armenian class, and the teacher doesn't use the proper methods and eradicates his dialect, mm -hmm. some form of Armenian will remain. Yeah. 
if it's about standard and second dialect, mm -hmm. one variant of Armenian is going to remain. The student is going to communicate in some version. Yeah. But when you move this into a diasporic context, where the student has one variant of Armenian at home, another variant of Armenian at school, both under pressure from the dominant language, if you, let's say, break the student's self-esteem, mm -hmm. if you damage their linguistic ego, the quickest and easiest solution is going to be a quick transition into English. Yeah. So if we're trying to promote the vitality of Western Armenian, which for me means promoting the vitality of Armenian. Yeah, of course. Um, it's so important to nurture any variant of Armenian mm -hmm. um, because that just feeds into itself. Yeah. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the danger of transitioning into the dominant language in a diasporic context is so strong. The pressure is so intense yeah. that any kind of misstep, yeah. I think, can have exponentially... Uh, quick and negative consequences yeah. and also that again it may sound counterintuitive when we're talking about Western Armenian as an endangered language right so why then would you put resources and effort into multiple variants but sociolinguistically in mm -hmm. terms of linguistic science this is very natural and healthy yeah that investing in any variant of the language yeah. is supporting the language as a, whole. as a whole. Yeah. And I think that sense of affirmation is is so key. Like on the part of imagine if every teacher in every, you know, Armenian mm -hmm. language teaching mm -hmm. context plus every parent, because that's included Absolutely. in the sense of where Armenians taught Absolutely. had this idea. Then what would happen is you wouldn't get so many cases that we see in LA of uh, you know, younger people who speak different dialects, like switching automatically to English, mm -hmm. because both somehow have this sense of like um, a, a combination of shame and fear that like Absolutely. you don't know what they're going to mm -hmm. think about mine, or mm -hmm. maybe they won't even understand mm -hmm. uh, things like this. I think your paper really uh, speaks to that, and and I think uh, one of my goals is the normalization of interdialectal communication mm -hmm. um, so that it becomes completely non-extraordinary that Hakob speaks Western Armenian and I speak Eastern Armenian or you and I carry on an sure. in-depth conversation in our own variants without blinking an eye yeah. that this is something strange, without that kind of fear that you won't understand or I won't be un yeah. uh, understood. Um, I think that's a good example to set for these kids growing up who have so many issues, so many anxieties, so many fears. And again, I want to point out this isn't an Eastern or Western Armenian issue. Mm -hmm. This is a diaspora heritage language learner issue. Yeah. That even if my home variant is a variant of Western Armenian, it's still not the standard variant. So when I'm communicating with the, the ideal standard speaker, the expert speaker, still it's almost an interdialectal communication. Yeah. So to ease that anxiety, yeah. I think it, it, it is a, a very um, good way of promoting the vitality. Certainly. Um, we're coming near the end of our time, but I want to ask each of you one last question at least. Um, uh, can you just talk about Shujan since we're on you? Can you talk about any kind of plans you have, like 
or for future research, either related to, you know, this study you've done or kind of the general topic of the book um, or like current things you're doing that maybe like carry the conversation forward? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned these, these hybrid heritage language speakers, either familial hybrids or academic hybrids. This is a very interesting um, type of learner that I would like to investigate more in terms of, again, where it goes back to right language variation. So they're kind of um, imbued with this very variation from a very early age. Um, I want to explore the attributes and characteristics of how this manifests itself and does it manifest in a, in a kind of healthy product or an unhealthy product? Because in my preliminary investigation, I've seen both. I'm curious to see what contributes to uh, the particular manifestation um, so that you know, we can then take the wider implications of this. Um, that's one avenue of research. Another kind of interesting observation I've made is that so much of my work on heritage language anxiety was born from my study with Eastern Armenian speakers. Mm-hmm. And um, by the way, the Gulbenkian Foundation was also the, the sponsors for my postdoctoral research <laughs> on Western Armenian heritage language speakers. And I did a series of interviews. So my expectation initially was that that this anxiety would be just as heightened or just as prevalent. And it wasn't. Um I'm still digging for answers as to as to why that is. I'd like to explore that further. Um, but yeah, there are so many avenues that yeah. uh, because so much hasn't been done mm-hmm. on Armenian heritage language education, Armenian mm-hmm. heritage language instruction. There are so many gaps. Yeah. So anyone listening out there, if you're looking for a dissertation <laughs> topic that will break ground because no one's done it, this is the area to go into. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put your email address. Yes, on the podcast do, do. I'm giving away to topics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Hagov, I guess I would ask you the same uh, question. Yeah, uh... I'm focused now, other than my other uh, research, on uh, uh, obviously continuing this uh, uh, both on uh, experimental, practical level, mm-hmm. and uh, research on the creative and productive uh, uh, um, use of language in diaspora. Uh, somehow uh, trying to industrialize the production mm. of producers, of which you are one, obviously, a <laughs> uh, very bright example, uh, as there are others. Uh, so how do we produce, not by chance or as a result of a random experiment, mm-hmm. but uh, 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 in a planned uh, way? Uh, but on the other hand, uh, I want to emphasize that uh, even in this aspect, in this respect, we have to uh, be in uh, conversation with outside, with the outside. That is other languages yeah. or other researchers uh, uh, who study these issues. What happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, big names in social linguistics who, who have uh, contributed a lot to this. But I believe we have contributed new concepts. Yes. And if we do not uh, mm-hmm. uh, put push these concepts forward uh, to the uh, so that others may criticize them and mm. enrich them, uh, for example, the uh, n- 
functional diglossial compartmentalization is, is an old concept. We're adding on that a temporally conditioned company, which is which has to do with our catastrophe, the genocide, sure. and the sacralization of the past, etc. So what kind of solutions may we give to that? Because I say this because there is criticism outside, or at least in our media circles. For example, why should this type of conference or books... Uh, be in English, mm -hmm. because we have to have a dialogue with other researchers. We can't invent the wheel. Uh, people have been talking about this for decades, and we have to read them, propose new concepts, uh, let them examine those, rebate those, or adopt those, and then uh, keep going. And obviously, this has to have. Uh, uh, to ramify also in Armenian yeah. to reach both the academic circles and the uh, institutional and even teachers or even students. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I may, I just want Please. to piggyback on what Hakob said, this idea of exposure to the larger academic world. Um, I think also it gives us perspective, which we need so much sometimes. I think... It's, you know, when you're in your narrow lens looking at your own situation, sometimes you need to take a step back and to gain perspective. And, and, and here I, I'm speaking from experience. It's in a strange twist of fate, I ended up teaching a course on the teaching of Hindi and Urdu. And, you know, talk about language variation. I mean, they're dealing with hundreds of languages. Some of them are not even linguistic cognates. And they're struggling with heritage language maintenance. Do you it's know, not a uniquely Armenian it's, problem. It's definitely not a uniquely Armenian thing. Having two standards and some dialects um, as challenging and as overwhelming as it may seem for us um, may not be the worst possible scenario. And really uh, reading about what the situation is out there in the world, exchanging ideas, I think, can only benefit and it can be reciprocally ben beneficial, both for us, both for other scholars, for the field in general, for the growth of the field, and for practitioners on the ground. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'd love, Hagop, to give you a chance to give a kind of final comment um, before we <coughs> wrap up for the day. Yeah. My final comment is not a, a summarizing one, sure. but uh, something we left out because we talked about so many yeah. uh, issues. It's that uh, usually we talk, when we talk about vitality, about speaking Armenian. And my focus mm. uh, has shifted mainly to writing or reading in Armenian. Why? Because uh, I believe that obviously speaking Armenian is, is, is good and necessary, but if a language has to remain vital in the uh, 21st century, it has to uh, ad adapt itself to the higher domains of language because most communication is uh, written over the internet. We are highly technologized. We are... Uh, we have a lot of information. So the former proposals in sociolinguistics of uh, reserving the heritage language to informal domains, kitchen, etc., I think doesn't fly anymore because it needs for questions of prestige, for questions of you know self-fulfillment. Because if it's not a, a, a 
an economical language it doesn't bring mm -hmm. you money it has to fulfill you and for that it has to go to the higher domains it has to think it has to uh, create it has to be beautiful uh, so that is uh, uh, one of my main concerns when I speak about creative literacy and it is one of the main solutions we may give give to all these issues of uh, dialect shame because once uh, one of those dialect speakers uh, reads a paper, as has happened in my classes, in uh, Hamshan dialect mm -hmm. or Gimli dialect, uh, or writes a poem in one of those dialects, uh, they'll uh, adopt it as uh, something to be proud about. And uh, from there to not jumping to the dominant language and trying to communicate, as Shushan was saying, in any kind of Armenian with other Armenians, or Armenian speakers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is, is just a, a short step. Yeah. Um, I'd also just like to add that um, you talked a lot about some of these main, you know, theoretical and conceptual issues, um, but your paper is, it has a, a couple very important sections on what this all practically looks like in the classroom, even in terms of specific assignments, uh, approach of the teacher, um, uh, even in relation to grading, uh, things like this. So um, it's not just a conceptual or theoretical approach, but one that actually has real practical uh, advice, suggestions, and models for uh, teachers of language to follow. Um, well, that definitely comes to the end and over our time. So I just wanted to thank you both again for your time and talking about this book. Thanks, Josie. You should have been the one doing this podcast because you're the one most involved. Um, I was just going to say, if you will allow me, that first of all, Jesse, thank you um, for your questions and also for our listeners out there that Jesse not only contributed an article to this volume, but is also the subject of an article <laughs> in this volume. So make sure to check it out. Um, so Jesse mentioned the, the paper by Hiraj Chilingarian. We also have um, a contribution by Anika Almirian, by Jesse himself, uh, myself, Jakob Kulujan. Uh, we have Silva Kasparian's work on a multilingual approach to teaching modern Western Armenian, Elizabeth Mechitarian, who wrote about Jesse's experience kind of owning and producing in Armenian, and a conclusion by Bartan Matiosian. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to thank our editors, Bedras Dermatiosian and Barla Dermagadichan, who brought the collection together. And I'll just finally mention that it's available on Amazon for only $15. <laughs> thank you.